I'd like to begin tonight by expressing my gratitude and appreciation. It was a great joy to be supported by your practice, to have the opportunity to practice with you. And there was another joy for me. Um, I think it's similar to in life when you know two really wonderful people and they meet. And for you to have met Chamye Sayada and to have had the opportunity to practice with him, um, someone who has been so instrumental, so helpful in my own life, and to have each of you um, have had that opportunity. Great joy, <laughs> really. Um, and tonight uh, I'm going to be continuing on with talks that seem like they were 10,000 lifetimes ago, even though it's probably, what, four weeks ago, maybe? <laughs> but another lifetime, and maybe this is how, you know, when rebirth happens, <laughs> there's something that continues here. <laughs> and so before, many of you weren't here at that time, but I was doing a series on the paramis, sometimes called the Ten Perfections, uh, sometimes called the Requisites for Enlightenment. Um, uh, ten paramis are ten qualities of heart and mind that each of us needs to cultivate and develop. Uh, no matter, you know, to become liberated. They're just a natural support to liberation. And, you know, there is um, those who perfect these qualities on, into a level of Buddhahood. And, you know, the Buddha was said to have spent many, many, many lifetimes perfecting these ten qualities. And so just to briefly review them, uh, generosity, and, you know, generosity, that capacity to give, to offer to another. And, you know, as a perfection, as a parami, we learn to offer that which is most dear to us, that which is most beloved. And we offer it because of caring for the welfare of others. The second parami being virtue. It's virtue when uh, we live a life of non-harming. You know, when it's again out of this deep care and respect for ourselves and others that we take care with each word that we say in our lives, with each action that we do. And so, as a perfection, it's really, you know, over and over again, coming back to this heart-mind that deeply cares, that doesn't want to cause harm, that wants to help alleviate suffering, and letting that be embodied through our words and actions. The third parami being that of renunciation. Renunciation being a way of letting go of clutter in our lives, letting go of distraction, and renouncing unwholesome mind states, mind states that lead to more suffering. <coughs> 
the next parami being that of wisdom or wise discernment. Learning to see clearly. And as a parami, we do this because this is what will benefit others. This is how we can live our full potential in service of helping others by cultivating this clear seeing. And then the parami of energy, energy or effort, being the vital force that we need in order to awaken for the benefit of all beings, needing to apply our energy in a wholesome way, a helpful way. The next parami being that of patience. And patience being the quality that helps us to um, endure both desirable and undesirable circumstances with a courageous heart. It helps us to stay open when things are difficult. It helps us to be steady. And then the parami of truthfulness. This is where we learn to be truthful, both with ourselves, internally, with our own experience, where we learn to accept and be honest with what our experience is in any moment, not trying to deceive ourselves. You know, when anger is arising, not trying to pretend that we're really happy. You know, we, we learn an honesty and an integrity and learning to be honest with others, which helps them to have a sense of safety and security in our presence, which helps to bring about harmony. We learn not to abandon the truth and to stay aligned with the truth. Tonight, I'll be talking about the next of the paramis, which is resolve or determination. And then uh, this will be later followed by equanimity and loving-kindness. All of these qualities are expressions of the wise and compassionate heart-mind. And we learn to through our practice, through the cultivation of these qualities, to call them forth in our lives. You know, and we call them forth in a way that they become our default. You know, as when we're, the mind is untrained, our default system is the, the habituated states of greed, hatred, and delusion. You know, when we're put in any situation and we don't pay careful attention, we easily slip into Um, being ruled by these mind states. But when we call forth these paramis, when we learn to embody them, when we cultivate them, then it begins to happen in our lives that they become our default. They become what the mind naturally inclines to. And you can imagine it's a very different world when, you know, when our default system is greed, hatred, and delusion 
And when our default system is based upon loving-kindness, equanimity, patience, generosity, energy, renunciation, resolve, you know, that's the backbone that we have. And that's what we can cultivate. And, you know, we become acquainted with these qualities and we learn what helps support their unfolding. What, how we can call them forth. And it's said that all of these paramis are accompanied by compassion and skillful means and untainted by craving, conceit, and views. There's a purity to each of these paramis that helps us cut through all of this other yuck and muck. So tonight, resolve or determination. This is a parami that really we will naturally come across when we do long retreats. It's something that um, really is the backbone of long intensive practice. Last year, um, I have this habit of, of naming retreats. And actually, the retreat I just sat so far is called the Nameless Retreat. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't know what it was about. <laughs> but anyhow, um, you know, some of the retreats I've named in my life have been Peace is Every Step. That was quite a nice retreat. Or after 9-11, uh, about two weeks later, I found myself sitting in a retreat. And I called that retreat Sitting for All Humanity. You know, it was a retreat filled with metta and bodhicitta and just this sense of doing it for all humanity. And then last year, I sat a retreat that I called Resolve of the Heart. And it was a retreat where I felt like I came really in touch with this quality of resolve. Um, and it came about, you know, not from a retreat where, you know, the mind was just unshakable, where I felt like Amazon woman, you know, where practice was really effortless and, you know, could feel this great resolve within. But it actually came about when I sat a retreat where for almost six weeks, I dealt with sleepiness, day after day. And, you know, it was hard. It was really hard. And it was happened in this very hall. And I would come and I would sit in that very spot, sitting after sitting, bobbing and weaving. And, you know, just like, oh, here we go again. And sometimes there was a few occasions when the bobbing was so strong that I startled my neighbors. <laughs> I saw them jump. You know? it, was, it, was, it was hard. And yet what I saw was there was this part of me that kept going, this is just what's happening. This is just what I have to work with right now. And I just kept going. In fact, you know, my hours of sleep in that retreat, maybe it was because it was compensated during the actual practice, formal practice time, <laughs> but the nighttime sleep was actually not that much. <laughs> and, 
you know, I felt like it was just this quality of resolve that kept me turning up. And, you know, I can be really hard on myself at times, really judgmental. And what I found, instead of falling into that trap and that downward spiral, was patience developing, compassion, you know, a tenderness for this being that was just... And to say, too, I was sitting in a hall full of other teachers. So, you know, if I wanted to imagine what others were thinking about my practice, it wasn't very pretty. (laughs) But anyhow... You know, I, was to, I just found these other qualities emerging through sitting with this. <clears throat> I also kind of saw it as a, a mirror of what my life looks like at times. How, you know, there's just this drug, you know, of ignorance, of sleepiness, of not seeing clearly. And then kind of the desire to move out of that awakens. And then poof, I fall back into the ignorance again. And then poof, you know, the desire, the determination, the aspiration to pull out of it comes again. And, you know, so it's just staying steady in that. Finding that sometimes I fall on the side of the sluggishness, the sleepiness, and sometimes there's more of the wakefulness. And to just keep, keep, you know, it's like keeping really in mind the destination, the purpose, no matter what's going on, no matter what challenges we meet. I remember another retreat where I came in contact with this quality of resolve. And it was actually my very first retreat with Sayada Upandita. Um, And it was my first retreat with uh, the Burmese monastic tradition. And it was a challenge for me at that time. You know, it was very confronting. And in fact, I almost left after the first Dharma talk. You know, it was really, really confronting. And then Sayadaw Upandita very beautifully gave me a framework which I could work in. And he said to just treat it as a scientific experiment. So, you know, I persevered. And it was, what was interesting to me was wake up bell went in the morning and I was out of bed. And I was often the last person to leave the hall. And I tell you, my days were not easy. It was not like some of these wonderful practice periods we get into where things just unfold, new doors open in the mind. It was slogging it out in just brief moments of refuge, brief moments of ease. And yet I could see Here was this being that, you know, had a sense of possibility, a sense of potential, not even sure if this technique was going to work, but okay, I'll give it a try. You know, because maybe there's some possibility. And so just to really give it a try for a period of time. And out of that, I could just see the sense of resolve. And back then, I knew nothing about the paramis. You know, I wouldn't have known really what that quality was. But I can see now that it was that quality of resolve, that quality of determination that kept me turning up. And that's what resolve or determination does. Keeps us turning up over and over again, no matter what the challenges are that we face. You know, and we're able to do this. 
because we have some sense of possibility. And each of us here has some sense of possibility, or we wouldn't be here. You know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. And, you know, we've been here for a minimum of three weeks now. Um, And some of you have been here much longer than that. And, you know, out of that sense of possibility, we keep turning up. Hogan-san, a Zen master that I have done some practice with, the Zen master who actually gave me my name, um, he often talked about something that I think relates to resolve. And he talked about uncovering our deepest vows. And with resolve, you know, it's really that getting in touch with the sense of possibility and then standing steady standing committed to that sense of possibility. And that doesn't mean we know how it's going to unfold. That doesn't mean that we're not going to fall into habituated tendencies. But it means that when we have a choice, we will remember the possibility of freedom and stay true to that possibility. That we won't uh, be beaten or broken by the challenges. We may lose our way at times. We may become really confused at times. But then, in those moments where faith re-arises, we will be steady. The journey that we take in awakening is at times very frightening because our practice shakes us up out of our complacency. You know, if we want to have a complacent life, then we don't take to practice because it doesn't, uh, that's not what it's about. And if, you know, if you find yourself just trying to search and seek out really pleasant mind states and hide out in calm, peaceful states, it won't continue if you continue to practice. Because our practice is meant to deeply challenge us. It has to. It's here to wake us up. And so, you know, at times we are going to find that we're frightened we're afraid. At times we don't like our experience. At times our experience seems to create more anxiety. But if we can have some sense of trust in the technique, in the way, in the path, then we will be able to continue on during these very, very difficult times. You know, each of us probably has our own stories about discovering resolve. And often it is in what we call the dukkha-filled retreats. You know, the retreats where we are deeply challenged. And we find that we just keep turning up. We just keep on sitting, walking, and simply doing the best that we can.
I'd like to share a poem by a Buddhist nun named Rengetsu. And I, I think I've probably told this poem a number of times in this hall, so some of you have heard it. But it really speaks to me. It's called, On Seeing Young Nuns on Their Begging Rounds. First Steps on the Long Path to Truth. Please do not dream your lives away. Walk on to the end. And I know in my own life, there's actually a fear that I will fall asleep again, that I will get lost in the realm of sense pleasure and just begin living a life that is for the gratification of sense pleasure or keeping myself comfortable. And, um, you know, a fear that I'll just get lost in a fantasy about what life is rather than waking up to the truth. A fear that one day I'll find myself on my deathbed and I'll look back and recognize that I was only lost in this fantasy. But resolve, this is what will help us to walk on to the end. With resolve, we become committed, determined to walk on through all of the storms that arise. You know, all of the thunder, the lightning, the blizzards, you know, the blizzards of confusion. Uh, No matter what comes, we stay steady. We don't turn our back on difficulty. Resolve is actually the parami that helps bring to perfection all of the other paramis because it is this foundation, determination. I'd like to look at a few things that the Buddha said about resolve or determination. And, you know, just to say a little bit about the word determination itself, too, because I know often when we hear determination, we think of willful determination. We think of pushing, striving. And, you know, I, have a, I feel like I have a lot of personal understanding of this, um, this kind of wrong view of what determination is. Earlier in my life, I got chronic fatigue syndrome. And in my case, it, was very mu- it came very much about because of willful determination, of really pushing, striving without wisdom. Um, you know, willful determination often is a very hard energy that's filled with ambition, achievement. It's often very self-referencing. You know, it can be that with willful, willful determination, we can find ourselves wanting to please others, wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be accepted. And yet, real determination, resolve, is a very gentle but firm energy. You know, I prefer to think of it as being wholehearted or full-hearted in the endeavor to wake up. 
you know, uh, we can have a heartfelt passion, not a passion of sense desire, but a passion to know truth, to know freedom, to know it for ourselves. So just to remember that as I'm speaking using the words resolve or determination. So I'm going to share a short quote from the Datu Vibhanga Sutta. And it's, this is a, quite a well-known sutta that's called The Exposition of the Elements. And in it, resolve or determination is spoken of a number of times. And the background to this story is that one day the Buddha was out uh, wandering and he sought shelter for a night. And he went to a potter and asked if he could sleep in the shed. On arrival there, he heard that there was already another monk in the shed. And so the other monk, whose name was Pukasati, was asked whether it would be okay if this monk was to join him. And he agreed to it. So um, the Buddha went in and sat down and began meditating. And this other monk, Pukusati had gone forth from the homeless life. He had once been a king. He was a friend of King Bimbasara, who was a great devotee of the Buddha. And once the King Bimbasara had sent to him this plate, this gold plate that had inlaid in it um, some words about the three jewels and other Dhamma teachings. And Pukasati had been so inspired that he had then decided to renounce being a king, had shaved his head, and had set out to find the Buddha to receive more teachings. And so this night, here he was in this potter's shed and joined by what seemed like an ordinary monk. And so there they spent the night meditating together. And as they sat meditating, it seems the Buddha was also noting the behavior of this monk. The Buddha observed him and described him as one who conducts himself in a way that inspires confidence. The Buddha recognized his faith and dedication. So he decided that he would teach him the Dhamma through first beginning to ask him some questions. So the Buddha asked Pukasati who his teacher was, where his teacher lived, and if he ever met his teacher, would he recognize him? As he was speaking, um, Venerable Pukasati did eventually realize just who he was talking to. And by that point, he had already addressed the Buddha as friend, in which case he had to go into um, apology once he recognized who he was speaking with. And, you know, um, at the end of the conversation, Pukasati wanted to formally ordain with the Buddha. This is something he had not yet done. And so in order to do so, he had to go out and to uh, get some robes and a bowl. And in doing so, it turns out that a stray cow killed him. 
But the good news was that as he had been listening to the teachings of the Buddha, that he had actually reached the third stage of enlightenment. So that's just the background to the sutta. Um, And it's actually a very short part of the sutta that I'm going to read, but important. A person has four determinations. These are the four determinations. The the determination for discernment or wisdom, the determination for truth, the determination for relinquishment, and the determination for calm or peace. We find that in this uh, quote in the suttas, in different translations, sometimes the word determination is used, sometimes the word resolve is used, and sometimes the word foundation is used. And so I'd like to look closely at these four determinations. Uh, determination for discernment, wisdom, truth, relinquishment, and calm. Uh, just to look and see how, by cultivating these four determinations, they really aid our practice. So the first, the determination for discernment, wisdom, wise discernment. Wisdom is when we see clearly, when we can discern right view from wrong view, when we can discern what leads to more suffering and what leads to the alleviation of suffering. Wisdom at its, um, in its highest form is a complete understanding of the Four Noble Truths, the truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the way leading to the cessation of suffering. And Vipassana is really a direct means of cultivating this wisdom or clear seeing. It's where we change the whole direction of our lives from wanting or needing things to be a certain way in order to be happy, to finding peace and happiness with seeing things just as they are, seeing into the true nature of experience, in finding supreme happiness. And it changes the whole way we live our lives. It moves us out of the world of concept, of story, and it leads us into living life directly, immediately, and leads to a wise response to life, the capacity to respond rather than simply reacting, reacting through habituated patterns. This all happens as mindfulness becomes strong, as it becomes penetrating, as it cuts, it goes deeper than the superficial veneer that we so often see when we're not uh, 
practicing discernment, when we're not looking carefully, closely at our experience. And we just get caught in the illusion of appearances and don't see to a deeper level. So we support this determination for discernment through really applying ourselves through mindfulness, through letting uh, our attention be with experience just as it is, letting mindfulness see things clearly. You know, mindfulness doesn't judge, isn't interfering, isn't analyzing. It's this ability to see things just as they are with all, all of these conceptual overlays. And then we link one moment of mindfulness with another moment of mindfulness. And it gains momentum. It gains strength. We develop wisdom through wise effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And these are all aspects of practice that we've been working with here. These are what leads to insight and wisdom, where false views naturally fall away. We can strengthen resolve for wisdom by calling it to mind at the beginning of our sitting meditations. You know, it's really kind of calling forth the energy, the intention, and, you know, we might actually put words to this resolve. Um, May I see things just as they are. May I be steady in my efforts to be mindful of arising appearances. You know, where, where, I mean, to see how powerful it can be, think of a sitting where you sit down, it's the last sitting before bed, and really you're just sitting here so that you won't feel guilty when you go to bed. You know, how steady in your practice are you at that time? Or, you know, sometimes it's the sitting right before lunch, and it's just what you're doing so you can get, go to lunch. You're just passing the time. And then think what it's like when you sit down and you have that taste of liberation in your mouth. You have that sense of possibility. And you don't know when liberation's gonna happen. You don't know when enlightenment's gonna happen. But you're gonna be available. You're gonna be there you're going to be present for that very moment. And it won't happen without your presence, so (laughs) might as well be present. (laughs) But just notice the difference in the energy that comes forth then. And so, you know, just to see if you can call up that at the beginning of a sitting. You know, and some of you will be leaving soon. And, you know, you practice really steady with Chamye Sayada. And, you know, it was pretty good. You had some insights. And, you know, you can even become complacent at this point. Yeah, yeah, that was good enough. If I can just get out of here in one piece, I'll be all right. 
really reminds me in that last retreat, a couple of days from the end, I was feeling pretty good. <laughs> Bad move. <laughs> I was humbled moments later. <laughs> you know, it's really keep hanging in there, you know, and that's resolve. <clears throat> And resolve for wisdom is not limited to our cushions. You know, it's where when we live our life, where we really want to call forth, you know, the vastness of what's possible for us and to live in alignment with truth. And just living, you know, continually coming back to that place, no matter how much we get lost and confused. It helps us to live a meaningful life. It helps us to make decisions that lead to less pain. So calling forth this resolve for discernment, wise discernment, wisdom. The next determination is the determination for truth. And I know, you know, truth has been a driving energy in my own life. First, you know, very young, I think I recognized that There was, uh, felt like not a lot of truthfulness in the way that I lived my life, that people around me were living, and just wanting to know what's true, what's true in life. And when a resolve for truthfulness is strong, it will help us to take bitter medicine. You know, because at times that's what we need. You know, medicine is not always sweet tasting. I felt like when I began my spiritual journey, it was through someone offering me sweet medicine. And it was quite delightful. But there came a day when the medicine had to be bitter, to wake me up out of my complacency. And so, you know, when truthfulness, the desire, the resolve for truth is there, it will help us to take that bitter medicine. It will help us to be upright in our lives, to be honest, to live with integrity. It will help us on the cushion to really name and note and label our experience, not afraid to say anger, fear, aversion, jealousy, rage. That's just what our experience is. It's the momentary truth. And we let it be known to ourselves. We let it be touched. We let it be experienced. And then it loses its power over us. We begin to, through this resolve, find an unshakable commitment to one's word. And we don't say our words lightly but that we find that we want to be able to stand behind that which we speak. And then when we practice, we find we're not tormented by what we've said. And we find the joy of the virtuous mind. So the determination or resolve for truth The third determination or resolve is that for relinquishment, that for the determination to let go of all attachments, all forms of identification, any sense 
of becoming. We really make a resolve on uh, a less scary level. I know we can hear what I just said and go, oh my God, I'm not ready for that. (laughs) But on a less scary level, another way of put it is to make a resolve to let go of that which doesn't serve us at the deepest level, which is letting go of that which creates suffering. In our practice, letting go of sense pleasures, letting go of thoughts that torment us, letting go of some of the mind states that keep us um, in great states of turmoil. And so, through our practice, we train in letting go. I'd like to share a Nope, I won't be sharing that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, hmm. Okay. There's a a saying in the teachings that is about relinquishment, and it's termed as throwing it all back. We throw back that which we have taken to be I me, and mine. And we throw it all back. We relinquish. We drop the great burden of I, me, and mine. And this relinquishment, too, happens quite naturally when we begin to see clearly into what causes suffering. You know, we no longer hold on to, no longer identify with experience because it burns. It's painful. And so a natural letting go happens. The last determination is the determination for calm or peace. And it's said to be the way to realize the other determinations through training the mind in calm. Calm is the basis for the unfolding of wisdom. Without some degree of calm, the mind is so agitated we cannot see clearly. Chamyesaira had us begin by practicing metta. It's a practice of concentration, a practice of calming the mind. And I, you know, many of you have mentioned how helpful that was. Through this practice of cultivating calm, you know, we can use various methods of calming the mind, the metta being one. He also taught us about slowing down, how this leads to a deepening of concentration, and the concentration leading to more calm. We also uh, develop it through continuity of mindfulness. And this continuity of mindfulness um, 
develops momentary concentration. You know, where moment by moment we are mindful of changing experience. And this also creates this bed in which the unfolding of wisdom can transpire. We find at the beginning of a retreat that through the development of concentration, we come in contact with this calm. And later in the retreat, we find that calm emerges um, through wisdom, through the non-reactive mind, the mind that can see things clearly and remain poised, is unperturbed when we experience equanimity. And so there can be the determination for calm from concentration and also calm from wisdom. So I'd like to just repeat this uh, quote from the Buddha. This time I'll say it using the word resolve. A person has four resolves. These are the four resolves. The resolve for discernment, wisdom, the resolve for truth, the resolve for relinquishment, and the resolve for calm or peace. And the Buddha went on to summarize these in this way. One should not be negligent of discernment, should guard the truth, be devoted to relinquishment, and train only for calm by not being negligent of discernment, we cultivate mindfulness. This helps to bring a spaciousness to the mind where we can clearly discern the voice of wisdom. You know, so often we live almost in a junk box where things are just, there's no care given to what arises in our experience. And then we wonder why we've lost this intuitive voice of wisdom. And so by paying attention, by not being negligent, by bringing in mindfulness, we create the space for wisdom to be clearly seen and known. To guard the truth. You know, this is where we have that inner integrity. And we stand by truth. We don't abandon truth, and we live in alignment with truth. And so we we become a guardian of truth. To be devoted to relinquishment, devoted to letting go, being not so quick to identify with the changing experiences, changing appearances in the mind, not trying to take ownership of all of these experiences, but having that willingness to stand empty-handed and to train only for calm, to really have the resolve or determination to train the mind, because that's what makes everything else possible. And so, with that resolve to train the mind, we can sit 
very simply in the place of making the resolve to sit, to walk, and to turn up the best that we can, and to let the the practice unfold in its own time, but to stay committed to this unfolding. The Buddha also said, the tides of conceiving do not sweep over one who stands upon these foundations. The tides of conceiving no longer sweep over one. Then they are called a sage at peace. So, determination or resolve, helping us to develop the capacity to persevere, to see more deeply into suffering and the causes of suffering, to help us to overcome the habituated mind states that keep us bound, caught, that keep us in suffering. It's a type of determination that doesn't harden the heart or mind. It's not a fixation, but an ability to stay steadfast with whatever happens. To stay committed to truth. It helps us to develop a tenacity. Its function is to overcome its opposites, or what opposes. Its function is to overcome these challenges, these habituated ways that we are bound. I'd like to close with a poem that I wrote at the end of the retreat that I called Resolve of the Heart. It's called Resolve of the Heart. Seeing the face of fear, I quiver and I quake. I become so small, two steps backwards, and still I walk on. The torment of the judging mind, you or me, It's the thought that divides. There's so much disdain. And still, I walk on. Laziness prevails. It clouds my vision. Sometimes I think that my bed is nibbana. And still, I walk on. The unending sleepiness that defies impermanence. The bashing from its waves. Foggy, heavy, oppressive. And still, I walk on. Guilt, self-hatred, they are friends that gang up, that lacerate and pierce, and I'm left in the muck. And still, I walk on. Walk on, walk on. It's that whisper in my ear. It's that longing in my heart. It's that shiver of unspeakable peace. And so, I walk on. So let's sit for a moment.
May all beings find the resolve or determination to carry them through to complete liberation. So the sharing of blessings. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Sangha is my supreme support. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.